What a day, right? Sometimes you just kind of have one of those days where everything just sort of seems to go wrong. Little by little. I don't know how your day has been, but uh, mine started off okay. Kind of went downhill from there. Sometimes you want to ask yourself, what did I do wrong? That I've got so many troubles, or why would, why would I have troubles on this day of all days? Well, then maybe you should ask yourself, what am I doing right? Because why shouldn't I have troubles on this day of all days? There's a question that our Lord poses to his disciples and is recorded in each of the three Gospels. The first half of it we would like to read is in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, and the answer to this question that Peter gives we'd like to read is in Luke chapter 9. But right now we turn to Matthew chapter 16. Begin reading in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? The answer that is given to this is in Luke chapter 9, or the answer that we would like to look at is in Luke chapter 9. Gospel of Mark sort of follows the same pattern as both Matthew and Luke. It's just a simple question and a straightforward answer. Most of you that, that, that have read through the Scriptures and have read this situation, you know the answer that is given in Matthew. Thou art Elias, thou art John the Baptist, thou art one of the prophets, something like that. But there's a little extra thing in Luke that we'd like to look at. In Luke chapter 9, when he asks this question in uh, verse 18, the answer is given in verse 19, they answering said, John the Baptist. Now, let's just pause just briefly for a second. Who is Jesus? Well, some people think he's John the Baptist. How reasonable is that answer? Not very, is it? There, what do you know about what do you know about these two characters? Well, they're cousins, right? John the Baptist was born six months prior to Jesus. They lived at the same time, walked the same streets. John the Baptist baptized Jesus in Jordan. But by this time, John the Baptist has been beheaded. So who is Jesus? Well, it's John the Baptist reincarnated. I mean, look at the lengths that people will go to deny the reality of who Jesus is. They will believe the dumbest things, the most unreasonable things, to deny the reality of who Jesus is. So he's obviously not John the Baptist. Uh, some say Elias. Others say 
that one of the old prophets has risen again. Interesting that the Apostle Paul spent much of his ministry in trouble with the Pharisees and in trouble with the Sadducees, particularly over his belief of the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in a general resurrection of the dead. But if we can believe in something that demotes Jesus, we'll believe in that. And so in this case, maybe there was a resurrection of one of those old prophets. And he's just come back in the form of Jesus Christ. You say, well, that that sure sounds a lot like those people believed in reincarnation. I can agree with Yes, that sounds like they believed in that. But hold on, just, just because something is mentioned in the Bible doesn't mean something is taught in the Bible. Got it? Just because it's mentioned in the Bible does not mean it is taught in the Bible. It, it is mentioned what the devil said in Genesis chapter 2, but what the devil said is not true. It is mentioned in the Bible that they had weird beliefs. Uh, so, example, in I believe it's John chapter 8, where that man is born blind, the disciples or some of those around said, who did sin that this man was born blind, him or his parents? Now, obviously most every parent goes through that. What did I do wrong in my life? And then you, you fill in the blank with whatever question you have. But did this man sin that he was born blind? So in a previous life, what did he do wrong that he came back reincarnated as blind? And Jesus said, that's not the issue here. Very seldom is the issue here about us. He said, this man did not sin, neither his parents did not sin, that this is, this is not a result of judgment. But the power of God may be known. That's what this is about. So just because the disciples or just because the Bible mentions something does not necessarily mean that the Bible is teaching that subject. Uh, more often than not, we might could just look at it and say the Bible is unteaching actually that subject. And in this case, he's unteaching it. There are perhaps one of the prophets if you just pause right there and think about that. Jesus says, who am I? Gospel of Matthew, I won't necessarily turn there, but. He chided that generation. He said, the men of Nineveh will rise up against this generation. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater then Jonah is here. The queen of Sheba shall rise up in the judgment against this generation because she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He said, you see this temple that you worship so greatly? One day there will come a time when there won't be one stone stacked upon another. And behold, a greater than this temple is here. 
Jesus told them one time, there's none greater, there's none born of woman greater than John the Baptist. And yet he says, a greater than John the Baptist is here. John chapter 4, when Jesus is standing uh, at, at that well, at, at what's called Jacob's well, the woman that he meets there asking this question in John chapter 4, art thou greater than our father Jacob that gave us this well? There's another time in John 8 that they asked him, art thou greater than our father Abraham? Now the answer to that question, we might get into in just a little second, but the answer to that question is one that many people do not have their hands around yet. Art thou greater than Abraham? Paul tells us in Hebrews that Jesus Christ is an high priest after a greater tabernacle. I mean, just, just what is Jesus? Evidently, He's the greatest thing there's ever been. He might be one of those old prophets, but I tell you what, he's greater than all those old prophets. He's not an angel that came down from heaven. Hebrews 1 tells us he's greater than the angels. He is not one of the old prophets. Hebrews 1 tells us he's greater than the angels and he's greater than the prophets and he's greater than the fathers. Whom do men say that I am is the question. And there's about four answers here, is that right? John the Baptist, Elias, you got to be one of the prophets. Three answers at least. And all of them are wrong. The majority of time, when you poll people in this world, they will be wrong when it comes to the question, who is Jesus? In verse 20 of Luke 9, he says, But whom say ye that I am? That really is a question that kind of comes to us then. Who do you say that Jesus is? Compared to everything that's gone before, compared to everyone that's gone before, compared to, to, to Moses. Moses was a prophet from God to the people. Moses was just a prophet. Solomon was a king at God's appointment. But Solomon was just a king. Of all the great things that Solomon did, of all the time of peace and the time of prosperity that, that Solomon did, everything that's attributed to Solomon. I, I believe that Jesus says that Solomon and all his apparel and all is, is not arrayed as one of the lilies of the field. But of everything that Solomon did and everything that Solomon was and all his riches and his greatness and his glory. What mars the kingship of Solomon? That Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines and they led his heart astray after their gods. It is, it is so... Ah, astounding. It is so perplexing. It is so intriguing to just observe humanity 
not only in yourself, but the world around you, to see what great things we can do outside of ourselves, yet we cannot govern and control what is in us. We can build giant skyscrapers to the skies. We, we can build rockets that fly to the moon. Cars that, that break the sound barrier or whatever they do. And yet, people can accomplish great things outside, but just cannot seem to grab hold of what's on the inside. John the Baptist, as we said, was a man, as the Bible says, John the Baptist was a man sent from God. He was indeed sent from God. He was still just a man. He was God's prophet from among men to preach to men. But he was still just a man. And of all that he saw and everything he witnessed and everything he confessed to, behold the Lamb of God. He would sit in prison in Matthew 11. And he would send his disciples and his followers to Jesus. Here I sit in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here he walks free. Go ask him, are you really he that should come? Or do I need to do something else? Right? You ever been there? Has your lack of faith ever swallowed up everything you ever saw and experienced with God. In a moment, have you ever said to yourself, is it really all worth it? Sometimes on Sunday morning it's that way, is it not? Is this really all worth it? Beat my head against the dashboard to get here. Get here, can't hardly hear because I'm old. Can't hardly see because I'm old. Can't concentrate because I can't remember if I locked the front door or not. I can't hardly concentrate because I remember something's got to happen at work Monday morning, but I forgot what it was. But now I got, you know, there's so many things that we fill our life with, and then we sit here on Sunday morning for an hour or an hour and a half. We think, was it worth my time coming? And you remind yourself, it's not about me. It's not about what I'm going to get out of this. It's about me devoting my life to the worship of God and answering before everybody else who I think Jesus is. That I think He is the greatest thing that's ever graced the face of this uh, sin-cursed earth. And whatever, least, whatever of the least things that he asks me to do should not be too much trouble for me to perform. David, at one time, when they were uh, fighting a battle and Jerusalem had been conquered and David's kind of on the outside and he sat down and he said, Oh, I could wish, 
Oh, I could just wish that I had a drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem. And his two of his soldiers heard him make a wish. I just feel wish I just kind of had this. And they said, all right, let's go get it. And, and two of them crossed enemy lines and went into enemy territory and, and got water out of a well, risked their own lives for just something, a, a fleeting wish of David's. And brought it back to him and says, here you go. Your wish is my command. And yet Jesus commands us to do sometimes so little. And it seems such a hard thing to me sometimes. He says unto us, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answers him in this text, and this is uh, in Matthew and in Mark. Peter's answer is simply this, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's not what he says here. Now, you may say, well, it's a matter of semantics. Very possibly. Uh, Don't discount the fact that I don't know what I'm doing. But he doesn't say thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He just says thou art the Christ of God. See, it's it's right there. See it? Thou art the Christ of God. Which tells you that the title Christ, not really his name. We have people in our world named Christopher. It's a, a modification of Christ. It's their given name. But his name's not Christ. His title and his office and his work is that of the Christ. The term Christ really means the anointed one. Thou art the anointed of God is who you are. And I find it quite interesting in this text that he asked them, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? See what he called himself? What what did Jesus call Himself? He called Himself the Son of Man. And yet, when Jesus was baptized, you can stay here in in the Gospel of Luke and you turn to Luke chapter 3 and verse 22, that when Jesus was baptized, it says here in Luke 3 and verse 22, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. Now, notice this. It does not say that the Holy Ghost descended in a dove. It says that the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove. It does not mean that the shape in which the Holy Ghost descended was the shape of a dove. Some of y'all are kind of confused about what I'm talking about here, right? What's the, norm, what's the symbol of Christianity everywhere? If it's not the cross, it's the dove with a branch in its mouth. But notice it does not say that the Holy Spirit here is a dove. It descended like a dove. In other words, it descended quietly and peacefully. When the Holy Ghost came down upon Jesus... Wasn't a bunch of racket. Wasn't a bunch of hollering. 
Wasn't a bunch of people falling out. It's very quiet. Kind of the opposite of what I'm doing this morning. But peacefully, quietly, gently, it descended. And notice what it said here. It descended upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Now, as far as the historical record goes, at this point, Jesus hasn't done anything. As far as the historical record goes. It's not until John 2, as Jesus begins his ministry, which is shortly after this, that Jesus goes into uh, the city of Cana of Galilee to a wedding and performs his first miracle. Jesus was not on the playground at Jerusalem Elementary performing miracles. You know, he didn't do the high school talent show performing miracles. He was an average individual just like everybody else. It wasn't until his ministry began, it wasn't until after he was baptized, it wasn't until he went to that wedding of Cain of Galilee that he did his first miracle, turning water into wine. At this point, he hasn't done anything. You you understand what I'm trying to convey? I'm not saying he's nothing. I'm saying just at this point, he hasn't done anything. And yet God... Before he's ever done a thing, except be baptized, says, I am well pleased already. See, we we wait till somebody dies to give a glowing biography about this person, a glowing eulogy about this person. We wait until the headstone is carved with that little bitty dash to tell everybody what that dash means. God is already telling you what this means. God is telling you before He ever began His first work, I am well pleased in this my Son. When He was baptized, we had those words. In Matthew chapter 17, while He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there was a a transfigured with Him uh, uh, Moses and Elias, and Peter says, oh, this is a great day to be here. So wonderful. Let's make three tabernacles. One to Moses, one to Elias, and, and one to Jesus. You know, you know, one to Jesus. And one to the prophets. One to everybody else. Let's just worship everybody. Let's just have a whole row of saints here. We worship everyone. Everyone that's ever gone. But we don't do that. And religions don't do that, do they? They don't worship Jesus plus, do they? Mm. One of the largest denominations on this on this planet has a saint for everything and everything for a saint, right? Aren't you glad we ain't them? What? Because <laughs> we don't do that in the Primitive Baptist Church. We don't put our buildings 
and our formalities and our songbooks and our associations and our... Oh, that got real quiet, didn't it? We just like them, aren't we? We just like them. We just got a different shelf of God. Well, that got ugly in a hurry, didn't it? Now, preacher, you were doing just so well up until that point. But now, hold on a minute. You know, the Bible tells us, hold on. John told us, I believe, in, I believe it's John that tells us in his little epistle, if our hearts condemn us, which your heart should have right then, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. That's the very reason when you look inside yourself and you see these little things that don't belong. That's the very reason Jesus had to come. He didn't come for you because He didn't have anything else to do. He came for you because nobody else could. He didn't die for you because He just wasn't busy that day. He died for you because nobody else could. He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But here up on Matthew 17, when He is transfigured on this mountain and Peter's up here running his mouth, these are the words that come in Matthew 17 and verse 5. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Hear ye him. I like to read what other people write. I think it's interesting what the Holy Spirit reveals to other people. It's great what the Holy Spirit reveals to me and you individually. But what if we just spent our time instead of begging for new revelation and new light? We just heard what Jesus had to say. Because here's the whole book of it right here. Hear ye him. When Christ ascended back to heaven, Psalm 110 and verse 1, Psalm 110 verse 1 it says, the Lord said unto my Lord. This is David writing. And David at that time understood who the Lord was. The Lord was Jehovah God. But a lot of times the Holy Spirit allows these writers, all the time the Holy Spirit allowed these writers to write things that they themselves did not properly understand. But David did have this to say. He said, the Lord, Jehovah God, said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. Till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now wait a minute. And now he's more than just the Son of God. Now he's the Lord. The Lord is not, not a term that uh, we just throw around. The English do that. Lord this and Lord that. It's, it's a title of honor amongst their people. But that, that's not a title of just honor like sir or madam. The Lord our God is one Lord. Notice what uh, David also writes concerning this in uh, the 45th Psalm. I'd like to turn there briefly and just read that. 
in Psalm 45. Verse 6, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Wait a minute. Did y'all listen? Did y'all hear? Did you follow the text? Let's back up and read it if you didn't. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, right? Who do you think we're talking about? Well, at this point, you think we're just talking about Jehovah. But then he goes on to say, the scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Now, wait a minute. He's talking about the scepter of a kingdom. You got to remember Genesis 49. You know, until Shiloh come. The scepter shall not depart from Israel, no lawgiver between his feet, or scepter shall not depart from Judah, or a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Wait a minute, there's there's somebody else coming. Some other king coming with a scepter. And this is a scepter of righteousness. And because he loves righteousness in verse 7 and hates, hates iniquity, God has anointed this God... With oil above his fellows. You see that? We got God anointing God here. That it is that not confusing? Huh? It is confusing. You see, it would appear that upon examination of the scriptures that the distinctions between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit sort of disappear once in a while. And they all just sort of kind of mesh together. I agree that the Father is not the Son. And that the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But they all three are God. See, the problem that people have when they try and understand the Son of God is they think he's just the Son of God. If I said to you, if I said to you, Alan ain't nothing, he's just your son. Doesn't sound real nice, does it? Mathis ain't nothing, he's just your son. It's kind of offensive, isn't it? Jesus ain't nothing, he's just the Son. Hmm. My son is my son. Your son is your son. Big deal, right? But my son is not an animal. Your son is not an animal. He may act like an animal, but he's not an animal, right? He's on the same standing as you are, right? As far as human beings go, he's on the same standing as you are. When God says, this is my son, it means he's on the same standing as I am. He's on the same plane as I am. Now, Jesus says, my life is in the Father's hand. I don't do my own will, I do the will of the Father. It doesn't mean the Father's more important than he is. 
The President of the United States has a different position than I have, right? If, if I and one of y'all in this congregation have a little scrap in the parking lot and we can't solve it through words and we decide we're going to solve it through conflict, you know, we, we're going to scrap it out and finally call a truce and walk away, right? You men in here ain't never had a playground fight? Am I the only one here? Boy, just quiet as a turkey farm on the day after Thanksgiving, right? Just All of y'all have playground fights, right? But let's say you walk up to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and you walk to somehow get through the front door and you walk right into the Oval Office and you punch the president right in the nose. You think that scrap just going to end right then and you get to walk out? No, you, your offense is against somebody who has a different position. But as far as being a human being, he ain't no better than you are. He ain't no different than you are. He's a human being just like you are. When God says, this is my son, we both have different positions, but we're both the same because we're both God. We're both divine. Isaiah chapter 40. I'd like for you to notice this question that God puts uh, to the nation of Israel and barely puts to us. In Isaiah chapter 40, I think, verse 25. <clears throat> Isaiah forty twenty-five. God says, To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Who will you liken me? Who will you make me equal? Is there anybody equal to God? No, there's nobody equal to God, right? There's nobody like our God. Well, if Jesus does not share in that divinity of God, then Philippians 2 doesn't make any sense. Say, what do you mean by that? Philippians chapter 2. When it says concerning Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, what's that very next phrase? And thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Y'all see that? Philippians 2, verse 6. Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. See, if Jesus wasn't God, if He wasn't one-third of the Godhead, then it would have been wrong for Him to be equal to God. He'd be taking something that didn't belong to Him. That's what robbery is. You take something that doesn't belong to you. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Because He is equal with God. Notice also Isaiah said, To whom will ye... Liken me, saith the Holy One. You see that? Did, did y'all turn your page already or are you back there? Uh, Isaiah 40 and verse 25. Saith the Holy, capital Holy One, capital One. This is, uh, this is not an average individual saying this. And yet in Isaiah chapter 54,
Isaiah 54. Really, you can kind of begin with verse 4. Ah, well, shoot, you begin with the beginning of the chapter, but uh, verse 4 says, Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. It says in verse 5, For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. What are we talking about here? We are talking about a promise of the future coming glories, not only to Jerusalem, but all the elect family of God when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into this world. And here he is called thine husband. Well, we certainly understand that, right? Doesn't the book of Revelation talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb? Well, if the Lamb is being married and he's a husband, right? And he's got to have a bride, which is the elect family, the church of God. Y'all getting all this? And y'all also seeing how easily these lines sort of kind of blur themselves? That I think human beings spend too much time trying to separate the Godhead. They spend too much time trying to put one here, one there, and one somewhere else. Guess what? They're all there. It's like three sides of a triangle. It just depends on which side you're looking at at that moment. He says, I am the Son of Man. And yet I read to you three times that God Himself said, Thou art the Son of God. People have a hard time saying, He's the Son, and there's the Father, so they, they, can't be, they can't be together, they can't be the same person. That's why He's called the Son. He's different from the Father. And that explanation just, it, it gets more and more weird to me. If He's the Son... And God is the Father. And they're completely different. As somebody says. Y'all follow me down this weird garden of Whedon here? How can He be the Son of God and the Son of Man at the same time then? Did you catch that? Did you catch that question? Because I'm not God. Y'all are not God. Those some people think they are. We ain't God. Never will be God. And yet Jesus Christ, more than anything else, calls himself the Son of Man. And yet he's called the Son of God. People say there's no such thing as a Trinity because the Son can't be the Father. Agreed. But they can both be divine. But I got something else about this. Not only is he called the Son of God, he's also called the Son of Man. But in John chapter 10, do you notice he calls himself the shepherd of the sheep? Three times in the New Testament, he's called the shepherd. In John chapter 10, he's called himself the good shepherd because the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, 
The Bible tells us that God brought again from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant, that great shepherd of the sheep. So in John 10, he's the good shepherd because he gives his life for the sheep. In Hebrews 13, God brought again from the dead the great shepherd from the dead after the good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. Y'all following this? I'm trying to go just as slow as I can. But then you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. And it talks about a time at the second coming of Christ when we shall see the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd of the sheep. That's okay, right? No problem with that, right? Everybody's okay with calling Jesus shepherd of the sheep, right? Psalm 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. What do you mean I shall not want? Well, we know that the term want in Old English sometimes means lack. I'm wanting or I'm lacking. Of course, I want something, I'm lacking, that's why I want something, right? But I shall not want, I shall not be in need. Why? Because a good shepherd will give his life for me. A great shepherd will be resurrected for me. And a chief shepherd will come back for me. I'll not be in need. The Lord is my shepherd. At any point in the Old Testament, did David ever think the Lord was Jesus Christ? Did he ever think at any time that the Lord was anything other than Jehovah God? These lines are getting blurred, aren't they? It's showing us that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been active all along. It just meant that the Father was the main one in the Old Testament, that the Son is the main one in the four Gospels, and the Holy Spirit is the main one from here on out. Depends on what side of the triangle you're looking at. But now, if He's the shepherd of the sheep, Got another question for you. And John the Baptist said, Behold the shepherd of the sheep. That's not what John the Baptist said, is it? John the Baptist didn't look at the shepherd of the sheep. What did he say? Behold the Lamb of God. So now all of a sudden, somebody who can't be divine because he's a son and not the father has now been a shepherd. And now he's the sheep. How can you be a shepherd and the sheep at the same time? Evidently, Jesus Christ can be whatever He needs to be at the time He needs to be it. How about that? Paul says, I became all things to all men that I might save some. How about Jesus is all things already? He's divine. He's the Son of God. He's human. He's the Son of Man. He has human characteristics since he's a shepherd of the sheep. But now we're going to step down and go from the shepherd of the sheep to he, an animal because he's going to become the lamb of God, the sacrifice. But hold your horses. He's going to step down a little bit further and become an inanimate object and tell them, I'm the bread of life. 
And that woman that asked him in John four, art thou greater than Jacob who gave us this well? He said to her, if you'd known who it was that asked of thee water, you'd have asked of him and he'd have given you living water. So now he's an inanimate object. He's bread and water. How can someone who's a son be bread and water, right? How can someone who's a lamb be bread and water? How can someone who's bread and water be a man? Man, how great is this person? And when they said, art thou greater than our father Abraham? Do you remember that? Jesus said unto them, before Abraham was, I am. And boy, when he said that, that made a lot of people mad. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was, I am. Go home and break out your concordance or break out your little phones right here and punch in that phrase, I am, throughout the New Testament and find out how many times that Jesus Christ says, I am, I am, I am. Now, oftentimes, translators would fill out that sentence with, I am, he. He's in italics. or he, he, Yeah, he's in italics. So, for example, when they come to arrest Jesus, and, they say, and Jesus said, whom do ye seek? He said, well, we're looking for this guy, this Jesus of Nazareth. And he said that I that speaketh unto thee am. I am. Every time he said that phrase, I am, they immediately, all, they immediately went all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. When Moses said unto God, who shall I say hath sent me? And God said, you tell him, I am that I am. That name belongs to nobody but God. And yet he allowed his son to walk around this earth for three and a half years during his ministry telling everybody, I am that I am. He's equal with God. He's not just an inanimate object though. Let's go a little bit further. Because you know the Bible says in Matthew 5, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And it won't be that we are filled by the proclamation of the gospel, which we are sometimes. We will be filled with a relationship with Jesus Christ, who's the bread and who's the water, who's the life, the way, and the truth. But notice this. Let's take another step. Jesus says in Revelation uh, chapter 1 that I am the Alpha and the Omega. So now we've left the dinner table. And Jesus says, I'm just a bunch of letters. You know the Alpha and the Omega, right? The, the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The Alpha and the Omega. Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Phi, Rhi, Rho, Lamma, Gramma, Lamma, Ding, Dong. You know, you know those letters. Uh, you tell me he's just a bunch of letters now? Well, why not? Letters make up words, right? Words make up sentences and communicate, right? No wonder he's called the Word of God. No wonder the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. No wonder he's called the Word of God. He's the communicative force from God the Father to His people. He's the communication from God above to people below. He is the prophet from God to the people. And He's a priest from the people to God. And incidentally, He's the only person that ever filled 
position of prophet and priest and king. A lot of people in the Old Testament were, were oftentimes two of three, but never all three. He's the only one who's prophet, priest, and king. He's divine because he's the Son of God. He's human because he's the Son of Man. And he has human characteristics because he's the shepherd of the sheep. And yet he steps down from being shepherd of the sheep to being the sheep, to being the lamb. He feeds you because he's the bread of life. He's the water of life. He's the bread that came down from heaven. He's spoken to us in the presence of God, in the person of God. But now we can go even beyond that. Because he says in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are concepts. If you said, what's the way to the lunchroom? Go out the doors, turn right, go down the stairs, down there, there you are. It's, it's a concept. It's an understanding of something. If I hold out a map and say, how do we get to a certain place? The map is a concept. It's an understanding of something. The map, boy, I've got to be, got to be careful with this one. You have to be real careful making these analogies. The map doesn't do anything. Hmm. Be real careful with that. See what I'm trying to explain here. It's something that's right in front of you. Shows you the way. In other words, Christ didn't make you get up and come to church this morning. But I sure hope you got up and came to church following Him and looking for Him. Can we say that? Can we, we have to be real careful when, when we do this because I don't want to kick the stool out from under what I'm trying to prop up here. Jesus says, whom do people say that I am? But ultimately, He says to you and me, whom do you say that I am? Peter says, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. Thou, thou art everything I have ever needed. Thou art everything I've ever wanted. Because He lives, I will live also. Can we say as Peter said, Thou art the Son of God. Thank you for your good, kind, patient attention.